1: at checkout. That's amazing. And that is code GAZE24 G A for 20% off any Moon travel guide in Moon's entire library. And that is just for our listeners, and you cannot find that anywhere else. Be sure to visit moon.com. Head to our show notes and check it out and see Moon's entire collection of travel guide books. Hello and welcome to Trail Mix by Gaze at the National Parks, the podcast. My name is Dusty. And I'm Mike. And today's trail mix is called Gaze at the National Mall. Recently on a trip to Shenandoah
0: National Park, we took two days and spent some time in Washington, D.C., which the both of us have visited before on multiple occasions, but never together. And we spent a lot of time ogling the monuments of the National Mall mall. (laughs) The national mall. Moral. And it was lovely. And we're definitely going to talk a lot about that, or at least part of what we saw in today's episode. But we wanted to start off by
1: talking a little bit about gay DC. Oh, yeah. I tend to go gay out in New York, mostly. Mm -hmm. And then some in Philly. Yeah. But not as often in Philly. Yeah, yeah. But DC, I'd never gone out in DC, like to gay bars. No, neither had I. And so, um, we, when we, we were did it together. P- when we were putting this together, I was like, let's do some gay stuff in D.C. just to yeah. see what's happening. D.C., they used to have town. Right. That was like the big gay club. That was like apparently. the big gay club for dancing. Yeah. And so
0: that was That apparently has gone like, the way of the dinosaurs because I of know. like development.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Just like Splash mm, in New York. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So sad. I mean, I'd never been to town. You said you or went think to I town went, once? Yeah. Like, I did go to town. I've trip. been to town many times. You've been times. to town. <laughs> I've been to town. You've been all, um, all over been to town. town. Yeah.
0: No, Um. one of my friends went to um GW for law school and for undergrad. So I went to visit him a few times. And we went out, and he's gay as well. And I believe we were at town. It's a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away that that was part of my life. Yeah, we stayed when we were in D.C., We didn't do Airbnb this time. We did Mr. B&B, which is like the gay Airbnb. Which is, yeah, gay Airbnb. But the folks we stayed with also rent their house on Airbnb. So it's like, you know, whoever, you know, come what may. Ladies, gentlemen, and everyone in between. (laughs) So, um, but yeah, and they were able to give us some good advice too on you know where to see what to do so we went to a few bars which yeah, was we great yeah we went to a few
1: bars and they were they were fine
0: they were lovely the one bar that we went to was like super chill they had really good music do you remember the name of that one uh, um it was the first one on it was s- trade trade and that was great i like that oh, crowd of people that was the um that was the second night. In that DC, was the second right? night. Yeah. 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 Trade. Yeah. Which was
1: great. Yeah. That was great. And then we went somewhere else and it wasn't as good. <laughs> we did. We went to a few places. Yeah. We tried to go to a number of different spots. Yeah. Um, but we'll only mention the ones that we really liked. Yeah. Like that one. Like yeah, trade. Like that, that one. That was a great bar. Yeah. That bar. was a good one. Nice people. Good vibe. Yeah. Great Good time. music. Good times had Good by music. all. music. I mean, I feel like, you know, as it got later, they probably would have, like, started dancing more. Yeah. I mean, no one was dancing when we were there. But it was, like, also, like... we left and half went... Half off on the liquor. It was half off on liquor. Yeah. yeah. We went t- down the street to mm. another place because they said there was going to be dancing. And, um, I mean, there was, but it was just, like, all house beats. Yeah.
0: Ugh. With, like, um, a Google Slides presentation that someone threw together by oh, Google and with yeah. uh, like, just hot like guys. Shirtless hot dudes. <laughs> like, shirtless it was, hot dudes. It was a little bleak. It was. It yeah. was a little bit bleak. Yeah. But it's not all sunshines and rainbows.
1: I do feel like we're in an interesting time when it comes to gay bar culture mm-hmm. because as we begin to, as the communities begin to normalize more and more, then the need for a, you know, a gay gathering place and is becoming, you know, a little less necessary the way it used to be. Right. You know, because gay bars used to be the only place, you know, where right. you could legally congregate. Right. And so now it's a little different. And I just feel like, you know, I mean, we it's true that they serve a different purpose now. Mm-hmm. But I personally feel a little bit like I should patronize them when I'm in other cities, like I want to, you know, check them out and go to them and see what yeah. is happening. Yeah, And like, you know, especially if like, it's a city that only has one. It's like, well, let me go patronize the local gay bar. Here.
0: Yeah. You have also been like my Virgil to my Dante when it comes to the gay bar experience. I have to say, I feel like I tend to go out more with you to gay bars. Because like I, you know, that was not something that I typically did a lot of before like I met you Um, I would go every now and again but I think you're like you know willing to seek out those experiences just to see what the community is like in those spaces and I think that's a great thing and it allows you to connect with the city on a different sort of level than it would from just acting as a tourist by sightseeing Um, you get to get like a little bit of local information and local flair from the people that are there and there are people and there are
1: people (laughs) The National Mall is an outdoor space located in downtown Washington, D.C. It is referring to the area between the U.S. Capitol Building and the Lincoln Memorial. It contains a ton of monuments and memorials in between, as well as many museums that border it on either side.
0: And it's a gathering space to be used for a variety of purposes. Most recently, the mall has been seen as a space for protests, demonstrations, marches, and other such events that are basically permitted by the park system for public use. It's also a space where people watch
1: presidential inaugurations and things of that nature. And it is operated by the National Park Service. To be completely honest, the first time I ever Saw the National Mall, or I had ever heard of the National Mall, or all of this area referred to that. I was in high school, and um, I didn't know that it was called the National Mall, and so I heard that, and I was totally confused. I definitely thought it was a shopping mall. Mm-hmm. Like I thought there was a place called the National right. Mall. Get yourself some anti, like Ann's the Mall of America, Forever Twenty One. Right, exactly. Right, that is what I thought it was. Yeah. Um. So I was curious about why it was called a mall. And um, I did find this. This is from mallhistory.org. The term mall originally meant a place where people played pall Mall, a game similar to croquet. By the mid-1700s, it had come to mean a tree-lined park where people went to walk and socialize. And then in the 1790s, the commissioners of the District of Columbia and Andrew Ellicott used the term to refer to Lenfant's planned grand avenue between the Capitol, and the Potomac. During the 1800s, it was sometimes called a mall, but also just the public grounds. The term mall became the accepted name in the 1900s. And in 1902, the Macmillan Plan officially described it as the National Mall. And so that is how it stuck.
0: Right. And just to like zone in on a few things that Dusty said there, Peter L'Enfant was basically appointed by President Washington to plan the federal city. Um, There were three commissioners that helped to supervise that plan, and Thomas Jefferson was the Secretary of State at the time. He worked with L'Enfant to outline the task, which was creating that plan. There were several iterations of that past L'Enfant, including the Downing Plan, which started in the early 1850s. Andrew Jackson Downing was a horticulturist and he designed a landscaping plan for the mall. So that was a big leap forward from just the monuments that were there um, and the meager landscaping that had been done. And then eventually, like Dusty had mentioned to the Macmillan plan is what really brought the current state of the mall to where it is. And that's a plan that started in 1902 and really started to see everything completed to the accordance of the plan in 1976 for the
1: bicentennial. And this is all in all of these plans are like, how do we create a public ground space in Washington DC that also memorializes American history.
0: An important organization to mention is NAMA. It's the National Mall and Memorial Parks, and it's responsible for more than a 1,000 acres of parkland, which contains some of the United States' most significant natural and cultural resources. The sites that NAMA manages are some of the most worldwide cherished symbols of what the United States is. Everything um, from the Washington Monument to the Thomas Jefferson Memorial, basically most of the things that are in the National Mall. It includes the Constitution Gardens. There are 60 statues and numerous historic sites and memorials and parklands in that National Mall area. It's responsible for all the maintenance and preservation, support for the White House as well as the U.S. Navy Memorial, and it Cares for federal park reserves, which serve as a welcoming gateway for visitors entering into the historic fabric of the original 1791 federal city. It's as old basically as the capital city it's itself, um, and it's a really important part of the upkeep of what you see when you go to the National Mall. Uh, And ostensibly, it is a part of the National Park Service um, because the National Park Service basically manages the mall itself and all the properties there. But it is kind of that arm that is specifically reserved for the mall itself.
1: So we were staying in Columbia Heights and this morning we had like ventured out to get some breakfast and then we walked about three miles down into the National Mall. As we were gazing at all of these monuments, you have this incredible, like, art history background. You knew a lot about the art history of many of these different monuments, mm-hmm. and it made us both really curious about what is the story of the architecture and the design of the monuments here in the National Mall? And that is what we are covering today on Trail Mix.
0: Right. Um, we... You know, really took our time to figure out what route we wanted to take and what we wanted to do when we were on the mall. So we were able to find a pretty good plan that basically started with us going to the Jefferson Memorial and then walking to FDR, the D.C. War Memorial and then the Martin Luther King Jr. Memorial. And that's what we're going to cover in this first episode. So this is a two-part episode that we'll be covering
1: over the next two trail mix weeks. So we will not be giving you a play-by-play of who was Thomas Jefferson, but we will be giving you a play-by-play of why the Thomas Jefferson Memorial looks the way it does.
0: There's a, a lot of actually deep dive art history that we were able to unearth. And some of it, I knew a little of it already. And some of it, we had to kind of delve a little bit. But it just made it more and more fascinating the more we discovered about each of the memorials.
1: Let's start with the Jefferson Memorial. So Thomas Jefferson, as we know, he was the third president of the United States. To find out more about Thomas Jefferson, go look literally anywhere. Right. And you will find anything about him that you need to know. Mm -hmm. Um, But something that I didn't remember was that he was an architecture student. Like he was, among many things, he like studied architecture when he was young. Right. And he was really inspired by Roman architecture.
0: Right. So when we walked into the Jefferson Memorial, which I had been to before, had you ever been to before this trip? Yeah, I had. Yeah. When I was there the last time, it was right as the cherry blossoms were in peak season and the Tidal Basin was like a frenzy of activity. So it was really nice to be there when it was like a quieter weekend. It was like the first cold weekend in D.C. So everyone was kind of inside, which made things a lot nicer to have viewership. The memorial was under restoration. The dome was being, I believe, repointed and refinished. Um, So there was a lot of scaffolding up. You were still able to access the memorial. But walking inside, again, for... The second time, it's a pretty imposing sight when you walk into the memorial. There is a gigantic bronze statue of Thomas Jefferson in the middle of the rotunda. Beyond that, there are four walls and four breaks of columns that create an open air atmosphere in the memorial. On the walls, there are four quotes by Jefferson, and the dome of the rotunda, the dome of the memorial is supposed to be referential to the Pantheon in Rome. The Pantheon was a temple to the gods. Um, It has a giant oculus window in the top of the dome. That's not here in the Jefferson Memorial, but it is a a direct reference the the stature of the memorial and the shape of it is a direct reference to that Pantheon. The columns themselves are interesting, though, Dusty,
1: and this is something you you found out. Yeah. Thomas Jefferson, as an architect, actually introduced this circular structure that is supported by columns. He introduced that into American architecture because they had been using it in Roman architecture for so long. And And I believe his home in Monticello is also a reference to this. Right, right, right. And so the um, architect of the memorial, John Russell Pope, wanted to pay tribute to Jefferson's work as a statesman, an architect, the president, drafter of the Declaration of Independence, advisor for the Constitution, and founder of University of Virginia. So he wanted to incorporate all of those major things into this monument. Which is a lot. (laughs) Yeah. It is a lot. However, he did not get to, like, finish the job because he died. Right. So there were two other architects that came on board to finish it, which were, they were Daniel P. Higgins and Otto R. Eggers. They took over the construction upon his death in August of 1937. All of this information I literally got from nps.gov. There you go. Which is... The, one of the best websites yep. we have here in this country.
0: Yeah. So. Um, the memorial, the statue of Jefferson is 19 feet tall and it weighs five tons. The memorial itself was dedicated in 1943. And at the time, the statue was actually not bronze. It was a plaster model statue that was in place because um, there was a ban on the use of metals during World War II. So it actually could not be cast at the time of the dedication. So it was cast after the fact. It is a wonderful memorial to see, especially if you can catch it when the cherry blossoms are in bloom because they frame the tidal basin there. Jefferson also looks out towards the White House. That was part of the design of the sculpture. But And the sculptor was Rudolph Evans. The sculpture was intended to represent the Age of Enlightenment And Jefferson as both a philosopher and a statesman.
1: I also want to bring up some um, some drama that happened with this memorial. Oh, okay. Hot goss. Anytime, anytime anybody wants to do something nice for somebody, there's always drama. Period. Always. I mean, do you want to talk about your birthday? (laughs) No, but but seriously though. Okay, so anyway, no good ego unpunished. Right. I mean, wealth of best things that, right? Mm-hmm. Anyway, they chose this spot for the Jefferson Memorial, right? But when they chose it, you know, right at Tidal Basin, right there in the heart of the National Mall, by putting it there, it would remove a whole bunch of Japanese flowering cherry trees. And so there were a lot of people really upset about them just removing the cherry trees. And then there was also concern that this design would compete with the design of the Lincoln Memorial. And the way that they settled it was they basically went to the president at the time, FDR, and they were like, you need to settle this. And so he was like, no, I prefer the Pantheon design. Let's roll with that. And that's what they did. Speaking of FDR, Uh, The
0: next memorial that we would encounter, and if you're walking the same path, we would, um, which is one we just kind of looked up. We're like, what's the best way to see all the national monuments on the mall? Um, This was the next stop, and it was the FDR Memorial. Quite honestly, one of the most interesting memorials that I have ever seen.
1: This is one of my favorites.
0: It was really, really an impressive dedication to FDR's four terms as president. That's right, folks. Let's put on our American history caps because FDR was a president for four terms. He barely served his fourth term before Harry Truman took over at the time of his death, but he was elected and did begin his fourth term, I believe. Wait, how many terms did he serve? (laughs) Four. The memorial is designed in four separate, I'm using air quotes here, rooms. And each of those rooms is supposed to represent represent his four terms. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, So that's like a really interesting design feature. The other very, very interesting design feature of this memorial is that it features a first lady. There is a statue to Eleanor Roosevelt, who was the first ambassador to the United Nations. Um, This is the only memorial, in. The National Mall, and I don't know if it's, you know, as far as memorials to presidents go, if it's the only presidential memorial, but it's definitely the only one on the mall that features a first lady. Um, and and also, that was a big
1: deal. Yeah, that was such a big deal.
0: Yeah. The memorial was dedicated in 1997 by President Clinton, um, and it is right over seven and a half acres, which is an impressive amount. This is a very large space for the memorial, along with the statue of Eleanor, the most imposing statue in the memorial, which it should be, is that of FDR and his dog, Fala. And I believe there was a controversy there with
1: how he was depicted Is that right? As we know, if you research FDR, you will know that he suffered from polio and later in his life um, was bound to a wheelchair. Now, um, it is gone on record saying that he was not ashamed of his disability, but that he made what they call a political decision to not be shown in his wheelchair. And so there's all this back and forth about like, this was a choice he made Do we therefore respect the choice he made and not depict him in a wheelchair, or do we depict him in a wheelchair because that was essentially the truth, that he was in a wheelchair? There is one argument that depicting him in the wheelchair would gain representation for those people who are in wheelchairs and for people with disabilities, but then there's also the argument that if you do that, it's going against the choice he made for his life when he was president. But eventually, they did decide that they were going to depict him in the wheelchair.
0: But it's very unassuming. Like, seeing him in that sculpture, like, it just looks like a high back chair. You don't see a wheel. There... because his cloak basically covers, it make him sound like a wizard. But his his coat covers basically the entirety of the chair. It's very flowy fabric. It really it's unassuming to me. Like when you had mentioned the controversy about the wheelchair and then about him being in it, I was like, I hey, just looked back at the photos and I was like, it doesn't even look like he's in a wheelchair.
1: Um, so it's really interesting. And let us not forget that FDR appeared at the end of the musical, Annie. Mm -hmm. It's a new deal. That's the new deal. That's the new deal. That's the new deal.
0: That's right. Some other features of the memorial, aside from multiple quotes, which are etched into the South Dakota red granite, that is what the memorial stone is made up of. Um, There are numerous shady trees that basically shade the entire memorial. There are also waterfalls. The memorial is a fountain, or there are fountains as a part of it. Unfortunately, when we were there, they were under a lot of construction um, and none of the fountains for the FDR Memorial were running. And that was a shame because I'm sure it set the mood even further. But the memorial itself is so interactive um, each of the rooms has different sculptures in them. Some of them are incredibly famous, like George Siegel's The Breadline," which there is actually a version of that at Grounds for Sculpture, which is in New Jersey, and it depicts the despair of the Great Depression. There are a bunch of bas-relief sculptures, which means that it's raised slightly from the surface. Um, that show a lot of different things, including his first inauguration, all the way to his funeral cortege, which basically show the, memori- the morning after his death. There's a lot to digest in this space. I just remember one of the rooms had all these bas-relief sculptures on them. Then there were these kind of like columns that had these bas-relief sculptures surrounding like the middle part of them. And that was, they were all these kind of like um, photographic images that were depicting things. I believe this is in the room where the New Deal has started in the second term that depicts things from the New Deal. And they are these kind of ghost-like images, but they're so empowering and impactful. One thing that's really interesting too is the statue of FDR, the sculpture of FDR and his dog. It's very clear where people have continued to touch the sculpture over and over again. His pointer finger on his, I believe it's his right hand. And His dog's ears have quite a shine to them from the oils, from everybody's hands touching those parts of the sculpture over and over again. So that's an interesting part,
1: too. This was also the first memorial designed to be wheelchair accessible. And that was after the National Organization on Disability got involved with the design of this memorial because as uh, for the same reasons we were mentioning or earlier about representation and um but i i do think that it's true like this is a wheelchair accessible memorial and now so many more of them are because of that you don't have to go up any steps in order to be able to see this memorial and many of the other ones that have been built in the National Mall since then.
0: After investigating everything that the FDR memorial had to offer, we took a walk to another very imposing memorial within the grand scheme of the monuments of the National Mall. And this is the Martin Luther King Jr. Memorial, this which is, is one the of the most my... recent. Oh,
1: and it was, it's, artistically speaking, I just feel like it's like so clear as far as like in the design about like exactly like inspired by his words. And so um, that was something that I thought like more so than so many of the other monuments that we saw or memorials that we saw. I felt like this one was so rooted in his text.
0: Right. I think this was also the most conceptually out there piece, I guess, where I'm what I want to say is that the rest of the memorials feel I mean, the FDR memorial has a lot going for it. And there is a lot of concept there. But I do feel like this memorial because of how it's situated and the idea behind the, the quote that kind of drives the memorial and then how that is depicted really makes things very interesting. So the memorial itself was dedicated on August 28th in 2011, and that's the 48th anniversary of the March on Washington for Jobs and Freedoms. However, the ceremony was postponed until October 16th, which is this Libra's birthday because of Hurricane Irene. Um, so Martin Luther King Jr. was such a pivotal role in the civil rights movement. Um, To be able to have a memorial and a monument to him on the National Mall is so incredible. And I think it's something I'm sure a lot of people thought they would never see. Um, Here we have the memorials and monuments for almost everybody else on the Mall is a dead white man.
1: A dead white man yeah. or um or two two veterans of war. Right. Let's describe this real quick. When you happen upon the Martin Luther King Memorial, it is a very wide like um It's like a crescent shape, the it's whole like space. A, yes, like a crescent shape, and there are these long walls on either side um and there's a centerpiece. And then to the left and right, these long walls are full of quotes um, that he said in many different times of his life in many different places. Right. Like, I didn't
0: realize that he had traveled to Europe so much. Yes.
1: Um, And the quote is, they're all Martin Luther King mm -hmm. quotes, but they all say where he said them at the bottom. Not all of them. Some of them do. A lot of them do. And then um, in the center, there is what looks like, there was a mountain and then out of the mountain is this like piece of the mountain that has like been pulled forward Mm -hmm. and emerging out of the stone of the mountain is the carving of the man himself, Martin Luther King jr. And on the side of this piece that has been emerged, um, it says the quote out of the mountain of despair, a stone of hope. Right. So look at that concept brought to life. Um, And to me, like, artistically speaking, when I... uh, So I read that quote, right? mm -hmm. I read the quote Mm -hmm. first. Did you read the quote? I read the quote first. Wait, did you read it? And then I saw him coming out of that rock. And just that piece by itself was clear to me what that meant. Mm -hmm. And then I turned to the side and saw that it had come out of those two other... Like, it had come out of what was a larger mountain range. And that, to me, was... The turning point
0: so the m- memorial itself um, in one thousand nine hundred and ninety six Congress authorized martin luther king jr 's fraternity Alpha Phi Alpha to establish a memorial for him in d c There was a design competition which we 'll talk about some other memorials that had design competitions as well. The entrance had materials that contained ten posters with images and a chronology of his life dr king 's life. Um, and information about the memorial site in DC and the foundation's vision for the memorial. Each designer had to submit three 24 by 36 inch display boards to an international panel of artists, historians and architects and a total of 906 entrants joined the competition. Um, They narrowed those 906 competitors down to 23 and asked them to submit a fourth board. Um, And in 2000, the year 2000, the judges selected Roma Design Group's plan for the stone with Dr. King's image emerging from the mountain. In order to create the likeness of Dr. King, the foundation that had started the search for the design had to find a sculptor. And that led them to St. Paul, Minnesota, where there were an international collection of sculptors that were creating public artwork to be installed throughout the city. Four of the 15 sculptors that they approached recommended the Chinese artist Master Li Yixin. Basically, he became the official sculptor in 2007. There was a 30-foot fiberglass replica of the sculpture that served as a reference for the stone sculpture. The sculpture and the mountain itself are composed of 159 granite blocks that were transported to his studio in... Changsha, China, and he assembled and sculpted 80% of the artwork there. Um, It was disassembled and transported on a ship to Baltimore and reassembled at the memorial, and he completed the last 20% of the sculpting on site, which is a pretty interesting way to work. There is a little bit of controversy about the sculpture. When it first opened, there was this quote, the drum major quote, Um, so after it was opened There was a paraphrased quote that was inscribed on the Stone of Hope, which is basically the stone which is coming from the mountain where Dr. King is. Um, I was a drum major for justice, peace, and righteousness. Maya Angelou actually weighed in and said it made him look like an ignorant twit. What ended up happening is they they got rid of the quote on the side. Um, They used some stone, they carved into it and created stone striations, so it would make it look like it faded into the mountain of uh, the stone of peace itself. Um, so that was really interesting um, to see that there was a little bit of
1: a goof there. But that's not. So that was on the other side? That was on the other side. Yeah. So not, not the side that we were, I was looking at when no, I saw that no, quote. No,
0: no, It's very interesting to, to well, see that happen. That. Yeah, well, but, you know, mistakes can be corrected. So there you go. And I Maya mean, Angelo, there are the things that happen. There right. are the things we remember, the things we write down. Right. The things we learn. Right. So I do feel like this was such a powerful memorial to see because of the symbolism and because of the concept behind it. Um, and the artistry. And the artistry, yeah. It really is a fascinating glimpse into um, the way that memorials are created. And how they are being created in this modern era that we're living in.
1: And the final memorial that we are going to cover here on this episode is the D.C. War Memorial. Now, I did not know anything about the D.C. War Memorial when we were strolling up to it. We saw that it was there. I was... I didn't even really understand what it was representing. But um, to be clear, the D.C. War Memorial, which is a circular structure um, made of uh, Doric columns holding it up with a dome, it is to honor the uh, 26,000-plus residents of Washington, D.C., who served in World War I. The reason for the circular design It's this open-air structure that you can walk right through. Um, It was not only to honor these people, but it was also to be a bandstand so that any time a concert is played, it would be in their honor. When it was built,
0: it was able to hold the entire U.S. Marine Band. It was intended so that each
1: concert would be a tribute to those who served and sacrificed in the war. The memorial stands on a four-foot-high circular marble platform around which are inscribed the names of the 499 Washington residents who died in service of World War I. The order of the names, they are in no particular order, with no distinction by rank, race, or gender. Seven of those 499 names are women. I thought this was really interesting. I Go found this it. on NPS.gov. Mm-hmm. So the original inscription on the frieze said um, on phrase on phrase it said in memory of the men and women of the district of columbia however in march of 1931 mm-hmm. the plans revealed a change in the wording to a memorial to the armed forces from the district of columbia who served their country in the world war mm-hmm. now they didn't like this was just a change in the plans. Right. They didn't like build it and then change it. But they don't really say why they changed it from men and women to armed forces.
0: Misogyny. I mean misogyny, <laughs> but they
1: but it does honor both men and women. Right. Um there was also a whole lot of again, like anytime you want to memorialize someone, there's there's always a lot of like red tape. There just is. And it was like, how do we find the names of the people that we're going to put on? here? Right. So that was not an easy task. So on the American legions list of fallen service members, they had 536 names Um, on the lists that were supplied by the U.S. Army, Navy, and Marine Corps, they had 448 names. And then adding to this confusion, 344 names appeared on one or the other list, but not on both. So Frank Noyes appointed a five-person committee to resolve this matter. I'm going to say something else. Anyway, so a five-person committee was, like, appointed to resolve the matter. And in the end... A list of 499 names was compiled based on the following criteria. First, the person must have died while in active service prior to the official ending of the war. Or, the person must have been discharged because of a physical injury sustained during the war and died prior to November 11th, 1918. Second, the person must have been an actual resident and citizen of the District of Columbia prior to his or her entry into the service.
0: Well, that's very specific, but it, it is seems very like specific. that was what cleared up a lot of the controversy and a lot of the like confusion. Well, you
1: got to draw really firm lines, that's right? You know, when it comes to that. Yeah, you know, because unlike our electoral college. <laughs> oh, girl, sing that song, yeah, nice I and will. loud and I clear. Will. <laughs> right.
0: Let's end this episode with a game. And this game is called Name That Orator. I'm going to take quotes from three of this, the different monuments that we saw in this episode MLK, Thomas Jefferson, and FDR. And I'd like you to name the orator. And I think you can do it. We're going to do five different quotes, and I think you can get them. Great. Okay, I'm, I'm ready. ready. So the first quote. I believe that unarmed truth and unconditional love will have the final word in reality. This is why right, temporarily defeated, is stronger than evil, triumphant.
1: Martin Luther King.
0: That's correct. Second quote. I am not an advocate for frequent changes in laws and constitutions, but laws and institutions must go hand in hand with the progress of the human mind. That's FTR. That's incorrect. That's Thomas Jefferson. Really? Yes. It sounds like something FTR would say. No, it's a TJ quote. Okay. Okay, number three. I have the audacity to believe that peoples everywhere can have three meals a day for their bodies, education, and culture for their minds, and dignity, equality, and freedom of their spirits.
1: Martin Luther King.
0: That's right. Mm -hmm. Look at you picking out the MLK quotes. Yeah. Okay, number four. We must scrupulously guard the civil rights and civil liberties of all our citizens. Whatever their background, we must remember that any oppression and any injustice, any hatred is a wedge designed to attack our civilization. That is FDR. That is FDR. And number five, this generation of Americans has a rendezvous with destiny. FDR? That's correct. Look at you. Mm -hmm. I got all but one. I'm pretty sure there were two. No. No. I got all but one. No, all but two. There were two? You got two wrong. I think you said FDR for two of them and they were MLK or TJ. Wrong. Not wrong. Show me the receipts. (laughs) I got
1: one. I got the TJ quote wrong. Okay. Right? I just want you to know that I went back and I just re-listened to everything. And yeah, I only got one wrong. You're so smart. I am smart. Thank you very much. This has been Trail Mix by Gaze at the National Parks, the podcast, and we're here to remind you to hike early and hike often, and that adventure is always out there.
0: Gaze at the National Parks was created and is hosted by
1: Dustin Ballard and Michael Ryan. To see images from this Trail Mix episode, follow us on Instagram at Gaze at the National Parks. To contact us, email us at gazeatthenationalparks.com. dot com, and to find out more about the National Mall and all of the national parks. Spoken about on this podcast, visit our website, gaze at the All original artwork featured on Instagram and on our website is by Michael Ryan. All original music was written by Dave Seaman and performed by Dave Seaman, Mariella Klinger, and Sean Sclios. Our music producer is Skylar Fortgang. This episode was edited
0: by Dustin Ballard. We would also like to acknowledge that while exploring the National Mall, we were on the traditional lands of the Nacotchtank or Anacostan and
1: Piscataway peoples. Tune in to our next Trail Mix episode to find out more about the other memorials in the National Mall.